Welcome to Season 2020, Episode 6, Pure or Weird. In this episode, the four potential race calendars, bike electronics, the devil's candy, and another round of the Manuel Incident. This is the Pacino Report. Welcome to the Pacino Report, the official podcast of PacinoGP.com, hosted by me, Dave Gill. Look, uh, it's been another week uh, that uh, we've all successfully uh, survived isolation, and um, I'm here with my uh, three co-hosts to uh, review the week in MotoGP. Once again, Manuel Pacino has not stopped scouring the uh, interwebs for uh, MotoGP news. I'm going to turn this episode on its head. I'm actually going to introduce Manuel Pacino first. Manuel, how are you, my friend? Welcome to your own podcast. <laughs> crazy talk. Hi, guys. How are you Back doing? To front day. How are you doing down under? Here we are uh, a little bit better than before. It seems that from uh, in today's Kids can go out to have a walk for one hour. So things are getting better. I don't know if I am included in the category of kids, but (laughs) I I feel like... Eternal kids in the mind, it's all all that matters. (laughs) If I use the head, my my super head with the ventilator, maybe I can go out. Ladies and gents, um, we'll post the pictures up of how we're recording one this this week. The the screenshots were quite amazing. I just want to see Manuel on It's the weekend. Manuel on a swing will, will be that will make Scotch. my year. Stu, yeah. how are you, mate? <laughs> What's been going on in your life in MotoGP? I'm doing very well, Dave. Um, I, I hope everyone out there is having a fantastic week. It's been another crazy week of isolation all around the world. Um, and uh, I, I got a great response from my face palm over the week last week. And so I just want to bring up quickly as, as, we, as we go around the traps uh, this week, I heard that Andre Iannone is regretting his departure from Ducati's MotoGP team in 2016. <laughs> and if anyone doesn't know, that noise there is me face palming big time. Like, really, Hang on, I didn't Andre? hear that. Can you do it again? Here we go. <laughs> there it is. It's a very satisfying noise. Maybe you shouldn't keep driving into your teammate. And, and I'd say maybe you regret leaving Ducati. I'd argue that perhaps you didn't leave Ducati Maybe you were <laughs> you asked were shown the to door. leave Ducati <laughs> and you moved on to, let's say, different things at the time. So that's my face palm of the week is for Yanoni saying that he regrets leaving Ducati in 2016. We all have those regrets in our life, but some more than others. <laughs> <laughs> I regret leaving Ducati as well. That's right, yes. Andrew, how are you, my lovely? The, oh, the essential part of this podcast next to the big man himself. And you? I'm looking the manliest out of everyone in <laughs> That's my That's a hat. fantastic flat cap you're wearing there, Andrew. I like, is that what it's uh, called? It, uh, yeah, it is a flat cap. And, and I'll say to everyone here, in the green room just beforehand, Andrew and I were, <laughs> were having a bit of a discourse and I saw her with a flat cap and my first comment was, where are you taking your whippet? Is your whippet <laughs> going for a shite? But if because... I did, I would whip it good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She was taking her whippet for its morning constitutionals. <laughs> I want someone to explain what Dave's got on his head. Uh, look, we'll let, the, uh, we'll let the listeners figure that out. That defies out. explanation. <clears throat> Manuel. That's right. Um, You're going to have to check out the photo. It's worth it, I promise. It's very much worth it. I have to say my news now. Oh, go for it. I've advanced from my iPhone MotoGP game to the Xbox MotoGP 20 game. Wow. I'm still shocking. <laughs> you, but, uh, but you've come a long way in a week. Imagine three weeks from now, you'll be actually riding MotoGP bikes. Totally. Probably racing. <laughs> the question I have is, looking through the Insta feed, how much of that time have you actually got versus how much has your husband got? Oh, my Ooh, goodness. Good okay, question. yeah. So he, he just before we came in here, I was sitting there wondering when I get to have a turn of my game. Um. But I just, just got, called it my game. You realise that, right? Yeah. Well, it's not. Um, <laughs> he messaged me to say that he totally just won, and Le Mans was his bitch. Wow. Did he say Le Mans, or did he say? Well, Le Mans? that's how I'm reading it. 
Lemans. Oh. Ah. Now I got it. Now I got it. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Lemon. <laughs> a typo. That man was my man. <laughs> and uh, if you talk it that way, you will never get in your life to Lemon. <laughs> oh, I'm just I'm just an Aussie girl. I'm just an Aussie girl. But anyway, I'm ho- but realistically in about three weeks, I'm hoping that I can complete one lap without falling off. Well, better than we me. All, so does Cal Crutchlow. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. In three weeks, Cal Crutchlow hopes he's sitting on a beak in Tunisia somewhere. True. Manuel. By the way, Stu, by the way, let me, let me just explain you the Yanone story. As yes, you, please. Uh, yeah, because he really decided to leave Ducati because he was the one who was chosen between Dovizioso and Yanone. Right. Ducati chose after yeah after the incident where they had the impact and and he nerfed uh, yeah, Dovi. I I, re- I recall he had a really good result after that, and they actually wanted him to stay. Yeah, he won. Remember, he won in Austria in a very exciting final lap with his teammate with Dovizioso. So at the end of the station, uh, when uh, Jorge Lorenzo was arriving, mm-hmm. they offered the second bike to Janone. But they offered, he considered that the money was too low and he rejected it and went to Suzuki. Mm-hmm. And then, therefore, Dovizioso had the chance to keep uh, riding the Ducati. That's yep. the truth. Yep. So he decided. As we've spoken about before, he took, yeah, he took the contract and it's gone exactly. down ever since. But, yep. Wow. And now look where he is on the Aprilia. Wow. Yeah, he could have imagined because he is a very, I, I always have said that Yanone is one of the most talented riders in the championship by far. Mm-hmm. This is 100%. The problem is that he's uh, not a full-time racer. You know, he's, he, Let's say that he's a weekend okay. racer. The rest of the time, he likes to party, to whatever. Right. So, so when, you, when you say part-time racer, like, obviously a lot of racers like to party, from, from James Hunt forwards, obviously a lot, a lot of them. Um, but but he he takes the partying to an extreme, does he? He likes the lifestyle. Yeah, but look, if if I go quickly through the riders in MotoGP, I mm-hmm. can't see anyone, any other one that is into the party. You know what I mean? So right. the others are super professional. If you go through Marquez, Vinales, Dovizioso, they are not party boys. Yep. They are professional. And look, to to be honest, the, the the look, the league needs more of those. It needs more personalities. Realistically, I for one vote that we get rid of all the robots and just have party boys. We have a, a complete <laughs> new league just of party boys. Wow, see where that would lead us in a few weeks. But I'm kind of surprised because it's that whole work hard, play hard. Like they're pretty what they do is so intense. Yeah. How do they balance it out? They don't. It's the the sponsors want winners. Yeah. The yeah, only way to do that is to, you know, is to uh, to drop. They need to drink some ouzo and wear a funny hat. <laughs> <laughs> Dag nabbit for sure. And do you think the 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 rap that he's gotten for for quite a while? Uh, he he, you know, they they the, what they called him the missile and and all sorts of things because he was taking people out left, right, and center. But if if you go back and have a look, when it, any champion in their in their preemptive years, in in their formative years, it there is a, there there's a very clear path that you can see where they ride beyond the limit and they crash. But when they're testing the limits of the bike, and they get to a point where they get the opportunity on the same bike, and they stop crashing, and they are able to then win races. You look at your Marquesses, your Stoners, very very similar. So do you think maybe Yanoni maybe had that opportunity, but he was pulled away from it too soon or was it, was he not at the same level? He pulled himself out of that okay. picture himself, you know, and uh, later on, I tell you a consequence of Yanone's behavior inside the Ducati's contracts that 
every rider. Why can't you tell us now? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Again, ladies and gentlemen, we've we, we've spoken a few times about how Manuel's eyes have been sparkling a few times here, and we've got another one of those moments. Okay, um, Dave, I'm actually this- I'm actually do- dying to dive into the from the news of this week. Um, I'm, I'm bursting. <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is just an intro. It's gone way too way too far, way too deep. Let's keep going. We'll put a pin in this, ladies and gentlemen. We'll come back to it. <laughs> Manuel, you shocked um, me in, in just prior to recording this by explaining that there is four potential scenarios being uh, looked at that could play out for the 2020 season. Yeah, for me, it's, it was even sur- a surprise uh, for me when I, I got this. Uh, let's go quickly to, through these four scenarios, okay? The first one is the, the looks starting to race in uh, Germany the 20th or the 20th of June, I think, okay? This is the first scenario. The decision will be taken the 27th of April. That means in th- three days, in three days from now. Okay, this is the first scenario. So it would start in Germany and then Germany, uh, uh, Netherlands, Finland, and so on. Okay, so that would be a very long, a very good championship with many races. This is the scenario which I think will not happen because we are just three days from that uh, deadline. The second scenario would be start in August. Okay, then it would be... uh, August maybe in Brno, Czech Republic, uh, then Austria, then probably Misano and Mugello. Some other circuits would be um, put in the middle of the actual calendar. Okay, this is a scenario number two. Scenario number three is starting in September. Starting in September would mean, and uh, Dorna is thinking in racing September and October in Europe, and then they have to leave the continent because the winter arrives and there's no way to race. Then November and December, because the championship will stick up to December, uh, they would ra- they say that w- they would r- uh, race in the heat. In the heat, and at that time would be Thailand, Malaysia, Australia, and probably Qatar. And the fourth scenario that is really the astonishing would start in November. So in November, when there are only two months to finish the the the, the year, yeah, and this was this is the one that blew my head apart. Yeah, yeah. In this case, uh, the championship they they would pretend to make a championship with ten races. And the interesting thing, or the surprising thing in this story, is that they are thinking or planning in racing in the same circuit three different. Uh, up to three races. I mean, not uh, in the superbike format, at least this is what I have been told, but in three different weekends. And these two circuits, I know that this this, uh, format has been uh, presented to two circuits. One is uh, Qatar and the other one is Sepan. This would make make six, six races and then they will last only other four. So if this has been presented, is there any more depth in this? Are they talking about um, separate qualifying sessions for every single weekend or the, do they continue results from every weekend? Is, is there's, there's no more depth of info? I, I really don't know. I know what I explained. And the, another thing is that if in September there is no uh, firm decision taken of any of this scenario, in September they would cancel the, uh, straight the championship. Okay, so September is really the cutoff for... But I have to say that the, the inputs that arrive are every time more positive. One of the comments that I saw from uh, Pit Byra in the last couple of days, he was explaining that whilst the numbers were still increasing, uh, no one can speak of MotoGP season, but as we're starting to see the numbers roll off, there's obviously the optimism is starting to come back uh, to Dorna and the championship. So this is absolutely fantastic to hear. Yeah, yeah, I, I am, I am a believer. I hope that at the end <laughs> we will race sincerely. Uh, there was a certain moment that I was uh, quite pessimistic, but I think it lasts less than twenty-four hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's still April, and and I think yeah, everyone's doing pretty well, aren't they? It seems to be improving across the board, and it's still April. I've listened a couple of times to the previous podcasts, Andrew. And you were saying that um, you were excited that you actually get to see a real race. 
So uh, <laughs> I actually am because yeah, as we know, it's been a bit of a build up to to see, and I've watched previous races, but to watch a live actual race, I'm going to be absolutely ecstatic, pumped. I know, Manuel, Andra, when because you are going to do this when you see a race at Philip Island. It will be like for, yes. the, for the humanity before Christ and after Christ, you know? <laughs> you will have before yes. Philip Island and after Philip Island. Yeah. Life changing. Exactly. Oh. And you're all going to be there with be me baptized. along the way. Welcome, welcome to the real world. Yes, indeed. And I know that track now because that's, that's yeah. the only track that I've raced on the game. So I know that track now. I think I know the corner you were talking about, yep. Dave, where people crash. <laughs> I crashed on all of them, but I can see which one's probably the biggest crash corner. Indeed. And, and look, I'm starting to see the same thing here through, like, as, as you all know, I follow the F1 almost as much as I follow MotoGP. And I'm starting to see the same optimism now coming through from F1 as well, that, that they're starting to talk about potential dates in late June for maybe tests, July, August, which is really, really uh, encouraging for, for motorsport as a whole. And well. Yes, because look, uh, you have to realise that F1 and MotoGP is a very difficult um, layout because other sports, exactly. they are basically national, okay? If you, yes. the National Football League or the NBA, it's just inside the country. But these uh, shows have to cross so many borders and the the actors of the show, they arrive from all over the world. So if if they manage to make it work, then the means that the whole uh, planet is starting to move again that's exactly right but with it being yeah such a global sport it, it's so much more difficult isn't it yeah andra what was that post the other day they were loading there was a was it from moto gp they had that post of loading the bits onto the plane yeah finally the last few bits coming back from qatar yeah oh, on off so is that what we've talked about where everything's locked up they're actually yeah <gasps> i saw the case the guys were going yes bring us our part time <laughs> Is there any uh, noise coming out of the factories yet now that Dorna is putting this on the table as a potential? Like you said last week that uh, they were putting um, uh, potential flight plans in with Emirates to see who would fly and, and who wouldn't. Is there any uh, development on that? Are they starting to do cargo manifests up? Or? Yeah, yeah. They look, the, 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 la- the last I know, I don't know if we have commented this in our previous podcast, is they will basically have four points around the world to collect uh, people, right? Four points, yeah, hubs, exactly, that's the word. These four hubs, I imagine it's easy to imagine one will be in Spain, one should be in Italy, the other one in Japan, and the fourth one is, I don't know, in somewhere in Europe, maybe in the UK or in Central Europe, but these four flights will fly straight to the place where the Grand Prix is going, going to happen, might yeah. even be Dubai as a central hub. Sorry? No, no. That might even be Dubai uh, as a central hub I, between I, the east and the west. The information I got is that they will Qatar Airways has offered the planes, not not uh, Emirates. Uh, okay, so Doha. Maybe. Doha, yeah. yeah. Interesting. It's a very ambitious format, isn't it? Absolutely, especially that last one. I, I, the, the prospect of having MotoGP oh. live on Christmas Day excites me like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, please. I will, I, oh, Boxing Day, imagine that. Right, should we watch the test? I'd send the kids away the for Moto the day GP. for that. <laughs> Keep it down in there, I'm watching I, the telly. I, 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 go back, I go back to my wish that... Maybe we could uh, celebrate Christmas down in Rio de Janeiro, in Copacabana, or somewhere <laughs> like this, no? I, I, I insist. I don't know what your religion is, Manuel, but I, I am fully supportive of it, and I'd like to know more. Thank you very much. Manuel, it was something we were also talking about prior to recording this was the uh, outtakes from the uh, virtual uh, GP, and it was, there was some joking back and forth between uh, Taka, um, Maverick, and uh, Marquez, joking that yeah, Japan had stopped work but uh, Honda hadn't because they'd locked up all their employees in the factory um, and that uh, development was uh, was continuing. Um, and Maverick was not happy. That's the, t- the typical Marcus off-track off uh, racing. You know what I mean? Yes. It's the- <laughs> yep. 
I loved seeing their banter. That was so good to watch. The thing that struck me on that was that um, they were talking about the development freeze and uh, mm. the the fact that the the 2020 and essentially 21 uh, were going to be de- developmentally locked out uh, for MotoGP. Something that we've been talking about behind the scenes uh, was not only from a, a structural and mechanical perspective, but also from that development would also uh, cascade down into uh, electronics, wouldn't it, Manuel? Is, is they're not allowed to develop electronics, or is that um, purely? No, look, look, uh, this develop something is developing, and a different thing is working on what they have. You you know because as you know the electronics. Is, uh, is compulsory. It's a closed uh, software they have. What they can do is working on that software and try to understand it better. This is something that is free. In uh, electronics-wise, basically, they cannot develop. They can, uh, how do you say, improve, but not develop. Improve what they have. So this it doesn't affect. <laughs> so there's a margin. There's a difference between improving and developing new stuff. Yeah, because look, the story with the electronics uh, was explained by me so fantastically. It was, look, the, the electronic that was uh, basically taken from Ducati, right, to make it compulsory for all teams, is like yep. working with a Macintosh and a PC, with a Mac and a PC. Bo- both computers, <laughs> you can do the same thing with both computers. But if you work with one, it's very difficult to understand the other one. This is exactly what happened with the Japanese. They had a system that, let's call it, was the PC system. And then Dorna adopted the Mac system. So suddenly all the Japanese who were not less clever than the one who built the Mac, they had to start to learn. And this was the big advantage Ducati had in the last years. So now... Wow, so they're very much closed-loop systems... And similar to VHS versus beta, you buy into one, and if you're if you're on the other horse, then you've missed out. And it, it seems like the Ducati was was the one that 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 was the horse that was backed by Dorna, and the Japanese have missed out, and now they're just starting to catch up again. Yes, and you realize something, and it's also linked to the electronics, and not many. I haven't heard this that much. That. If you see the last year, Ducati is winning less and less races, or let's say that the other are catching up, and it's down to the yes, electronic. Indeed. The advantage yep. Ducati had in electronics, they don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. So they have to look for another different things to fight the Japanese. Yeah, and that was that. That two big, two big advantages was was the straight line speed, the torque of the engine, and and the and the electronics that gave them. Very much that that whole shot of the that that straight off the line speed as well, wasn't it? And so the other factories are starting to to compensate now. Look, if if we if you think Ducati is always a step ahead of the rest, you know, but they are they have to be and they have invent things because, as we have spoken, the the size of the companies, the Japanese companies, compared with uh, Ducati, is so immensely bigger. Yeah, the sheer scale, yeah. Yeah, the, so Ducati has to invent things and it's like the aerodynamics before Gigi Dalinia invented the aerodynamics, there was there were no aerodynamic division inside the racing apartment, mm-hmm. departments, you know, and now yep. all of them had to create an aerodynamic uh, division. Just out of curiosity, for for Andrew's sake and, and for mine as well, how much of a an overall part of the package have the electronics become? Are they uh, up there with the, the tyres can make or break? Do the electronics make or break uh, a bike these days without just being at 100%? You don't have a chance of winning? Yes, absolutely. You said you said very right. I think the first the first point would be the tires. They don't depend on the bike, on the constructor, or the manufacturers. And then comes the electronic. The electronics has uh, turned into the most important uh, stuff on a bike. Okay, you have to consider that actually the horsepower these engines are providing are around two hundred and eighty HP. 
And this is only yeah. control, uh, you can control this only with electronics. Okay. Look, mm. the other day I had a chat with Carlos Checa, who was a, who is a Spanish rider, and he started mm-hmm. with the MotoGP. And then he explained me things that at the beginning, the first MotoGP down in 20, 2002, the electronics were just very basic. For example, look, he explained me something very funny. You know Bernot, Bernot circuit, okay? There is a long yep. straight and Czech then, Republic. yeah, a long straight and then a right, a fast right-hander. So mm-hmm. the first bikes, four-stroke bike, when they cut the engine at the end of the straight, he said, we didn't have to use the brakes. I didn't brake because the engine brake was so strong that the, <laughs> yeah. the bike just, whoa. So, Brrr. and he told me, imagine yeah. this at this level that I wasn't using uh, the, the brakes. Wow, it's like riding a superbike again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and now, look, I have, uh, now electronics is based, has turned basically uh, into a AI, artificial, artificial intelligence. Oh, wow. Because, okay. look, yep. it's, I have some images. It's a shame that on the podcast we can uh, show them. But you can see, look, you just imagine a bike getting out of a corner, okay? The mm-hmm. rider opens the gas, the bike starts to slide from the back, the back wheel. So automatically the sensor that the electronic, the electronic is now the brain of the engine, okay? Through the sensors, the bike is detecting, oh, oh, the rider is getting in trouble. He he may get in trouble. So let's Mm. give a hand to him. So they cut the power until the bike decides that it's not dangerous anymore. Okay. So it's taking that control away from the rider Absolutely. and it's making its own decisions. He can open his right hand as much as he wants when he's leaned over in that corner and coming out of the corner, but the bike will say, no, you're, look, you're still at 45 degrees and you're asking me for full throttle. You can't have full throttle right now. Yeah. You're going to have this incremental percentage of throttle until we get out of the corner. Yeah, and let's go on with that manoeuvre. So he starts to slide. The bike starts mm-hmm. to decide what he's going to apply, which power. Okay, then yep. when the the situation is perfect, uh, according to the parameters that the bike has, the, the ECU mm-hmm. has, then the bike starts to move forward, not sliding anymore, okay? Then the bike yep. says, okay, you are free, full power. What happens? You have full Slides power? Again. No. It starts, the, the anti-wheelie, the front wheel starts to... Ah, the anti-wheelie starts to come in. So, so the different sensor the, starts to come in. The, and then the brain says, oh, my rider is in danger again. The, yeah. the, the brain cuts the power until the tire, the front tire uh, touches the ground again. So the rider, he can do whatever he wants, but it's, it's the AI that's on the bike who, which so, decides. So playing devil's advocate, where's the talent? <laughs> I was just thinking I could ride. Yeah, one. exactly. That's that. So that, I could in three weeks. That's the thing. No so, problem. So it's very easy. You set up the the IA. You set up. Right. Okay? okay. You can push it further, further, further. So when when you decide when the brain is started to think instead of this was this was going to be my question of there are riders out there now that are, are pushing uh, in in ways that. I, I haven't seen um, Quattararo come straight to mind of the fact that he pushes a front uh, into a corner where the front is physically sliding, and this is this is something that is normal for him. How do you teach an AI how to do that and, and to give the rider that? Feel? Yeah, there's the, the this this new breed of aliens starting to come through that are pushing this stuff. Yeah, this is very interesting. It's the, I can say the typical question. This is a very interesting question. Do we want to go back? I'm going to borrow my hat. For, for, and, for Andrew's sake, do we just want to go back and give it a little, little bit more uh, baseline of, of, of the question? If you can, I'm completely into? lost at the Dave? moment. No, I'm willing to hand over to the uh, to the master of, of, of where all this began. <laughs> <laughs> no, because Andrew, the, the story is very simple. I don't know if you if you understood it, but the story is very simple. Again, the bike has a brain that thinks always in the safety of the rider. You know, and this brain you can program. I suppose it's like your vehicle with your ABS brakes and your... Exactly. 
special reversing without yep. you having to do yep. it. And the but pre- as you were talking before, braking all... on the freeway that cars have these days, yeah. the, the AI, yeah. But all I keep thinking is, you know, when you, when I've seen the riders talk to the engineers or whatever, I think of it mechanically, but it's a whole other. There's so much more to it. Yes, look, just going quickly back to the front wheel. You know, the front wheel is the only area that is still a rider area. There are no sensors to control the front wheel. There are no sensors. The ABS is forbidden in racing. So far, it's out of the rules. So this mm-hmm. is the only way, place where the rider itself can make a difference. Okay. What was the wheelie thing you mentioned before? The wheelie is when you accelerate exiting a corner, as the power is too much, you the front wheel starts to, to how do you say in English, to? Uh, it, it comes up, comes up off the ground. To come up. Yeah. Yep. Oh, like a wheelie. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it, it's what the majority of there's, okay. there's literally a gyroscopic sensor sensor in the in the bike that that will detect that the front wheel is coming up and the bike is physically rising. And mm-hmm. and it will say, okay, I need to cut the power slightly to stop the the front wheel lifting off the ground, and so it will again electronically cut the power to the back wheel. So is that because as they're braking coming into the corner? Yep, when they when they brake no. coming into the corner, they they might start yep. lock, locking up wheels and that sort of thing, and then and then the AI will say, I'm. I'm I'm locking up wheels and and I'm and I'm leaning over and I'm going to cut the I'm going to cut the power to certain things and then as they come out of the corner and they try to put the power on with the throttle, as soon as they put the throttle on and it gets traction at the rear wheel, they want to they're, they're gonna they're gonna naturally do a wheelie, um, and so the the bike will have a gyroscopic sensor that says, hey, you don't want to do a wheelie because it's you're not going to get two wheels on the ground. It's not good traction. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to cut the power just ever so slightly just to bring the front wheel back onto the ground. And so they've got two wheels of contact patch back on the ground again. These are all the electronic AI sensors that we're talking about. It's crazy, isn't it? Like we were talking, in, I think, in our last episode about Agostini and oh. Hailwood and all these older riders. Even, even later even than that, even, even your Doans and, and Criviers in the, in the yeah. late 90s. You can't even compare no. them to now. Nothing like that. Because if one of our guys now got on one of those bikes back oh. then or they jumped on these bikes, it's... No, pr- yeah, prob- that's exactly no right. Story. Probably the bikes now are quite easier to ride that in the past. Very much easier. Yeah, and you saw those guys that were in that transition period between the end of the two strokes and the start of the four strokes. A lot of them were saying that exactly that, the bikes are easier to ride. Um, you know, the, the reason that Crivier didn't really ever beat Dewan was because he couldn't get that last little bit of control of the of the two-stroke bike that, that, that Dewan could get. Um and 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 so when the when the four strokes started to come in and there was that little little bit of extra control that was that was able to to be there, um, it, it brought a lot of new riders into into the fold. I, I can see well. Manuel yeah. biting his tongue there. I'm desperate to hear uh, the, the the reply to that. So oh yeah, well yeah. Look, because easier means that you can push further, more indiscriminately. Yes. Yeah. So it doesn't mean that. Uh, the actual rider have not have a harder, uh, easier time than the others. No, the thing is that the actual rider can push further than the others one, but it's still yeah. super difficult. You know what I mean? So not saying okay, Schwanz they were more uh, better than the actual one because their bikes were more difficult. No, the thing is that the actual riders can push much further the bikes than the other ones it was just a yeah a completely different way of doing things and they and they had to interact with the vehicle they were on with the bike they were on in a completely different way that's right yeah. and if you can if you imagine how difficult it is to set up this ai because this ai works different in every corner mm. and not mm. only in every corner a corner yep. is divided in three parts Okay, one corner. You imagine one corner. Entry, uh, middle of the corner and exit. Yeah. And with electronics, you can adapt exactly what you need to every part of this corner. So this is so difficult, so difficult. And this is why, for example, look, this is why the electronic has increased the cost of MotoGP huge. Because now behind of what you see, in the box, you see the box, okay? That what we see. 
if you could once mm. get just behind, you will see a, a line of engineers sitting on computers. Because look, the other day I was speaking also with the chief mechanic of Aprilia at this moment, and he explained, explained me, look, our job as chief mechanics or crew chiefs, let's say, crew chiefs, because they are, it's basically, we are a, a bridge between the rider and all these engineers that sit behind. A crew mm. chief, actually, he does nothing on the bike. He just listens to the riders and try to translate what the riders says to him to the engineers. And they are in the back who set up everything every time the rider goes out. So the, yeah. the, the cost of this is not that much the software. It's all the people, the specialized people, all these engineers that before didn't exist. How many in a team? How many are part of that? Engineers... I don't know, dependent on, on the factory. So the big factories have more. But for example, just to check, there is one guy who just does the mappings. And that is very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, there are many people, many people working on these electronics, many. In fact, yep. in fact, I tell uh -huh. you something. In the past, I don't know if it worked like this, Ducati had a big um, satellite uh, antenna you say an anthem mm -hmm. yep. on the track, the bike cut in the garage, they transmitted the information to Italy, wherever they were, to Italy. In Italy, the engineer were sitting in the in their offices on the computer, bang. Yep. And then that's what I was saying. Yeah, there's all the behind the scenes people mm -hmm. that you don't see there at you know, the, the, the yeah. And this imagine the cost of having this transmission, the people sitting in, in Bologna the whole weekend. Yep. You know, this, the cost this, is, this is F1 level stuff that we're talking yeah. about now. That's right. You've, you've got a, an entire team sitting back at the factory, wherever it is, analyzing data live and, and potentially changing things on the bike. Yeah. So can they monitor the bike while they're racing? No. Can they see stats or is it purely? That's forbidden. They just can okay. download the, the data when they arrive in the garage. Okay. So is there, is, is there any uh, push to develop this even further or is this a part of the, the development uh, freeze that the factories have agreed to? No, for, for disgrace of the Japanese factories and the good for the Italian, this was frozen when the compulsory software was uh, introduced, you know, because before everyone had his own uh, system. Okay, once again, the Italians had Magneti Marelli. Um, that's a, a, yeah. a very strong brand. The, mm -hmm. Yamaha was working, I think, with Mitsui and Suzuki yep. with others. And Honda, once again, have had their own <laughs> electronics. But now, trying to freeze the cost, because this would have been endless. To freeze the cost, now they have limited that to a certain software. So this is this is essentially the question that I was leading to. Is that even though you you can freeze a development uh, around a certain component, uh, have there been factories that have been able to exploit um, grey areas? The one that I push to would be Ducati, and I've heard you speak uh, in many forums that um, the salad box on the back of the Ducati is uh, almost viewed as a second ECU. Uh, or a second brain uh, on that bike. Uh, are the factories finding ways and means of getting around uh, these restrictions or is has Dawn a, done a good job of capturing uh, this and essentially forcing the teams to develop elsewhere? Yes, this is also a very interesting story because, look, when you have a rule, there are also always some uh, holes in the rule. And this, uh, you know, the Italian, they are especially creative so they have been always looking for a, a backdoor, but every year, every year, they uh, this rule has been rewritten to try to cut this. Now I think uh, in this moment the rules are quite uh, uh, well done, so there is no place to to get through that backdoor. But you never know, you know, with the Gigi Dalina, 
Who knows? <laughs> this is why we come to the master for these questions, because if anyone is going to unearth uh, the truth behind this, it will be um, Manuel Pacino. So we'll keep checking back in with you on that one. Look, I'm going to move on to... Uh, what's rapidly becoming my favourite uh, segment within uh, this podcast. Uh, it's, it, we, we can only be talking about one thing. It is, it is the Manuel incident. It's where the uh, three co-hosts uh, present uh, a personality from the MotoGP paddock uh, to Manuel. He gets to describe them in one word and uh, with that uh, a positive or, or a negative uh, memory that uh, comes with that individual. So I'm going to... This is so my favourite, favourite part of this whole podcast. You tortured me with one word you are torturing me this is uh, unfair i even laugh myself when i listen to episode five this is why i maintain it's one phrase <laughs> so andrew on that note if, if you could lead off with uh, yours and and to be fair uh, neither uh Stu or i know the uh personality that you're going to choose so even i'm looking forward to this so go for it oh 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 all right let's hope i know um I was really impressed with how everyone introduced theirs last week, so I'm going to try and do mine like an American TV Jeopardy host. And please be patient with me because obviously I have no idea what I'm talking about. So the person I've chosen today, he's won Moto2 in 2015 and 16. In 2017, he became a member of the Tech3 Yamaha. Yes. Is it a team? It is. Did I say team? Is that right, Stu? Spot on. Thank you. I'm learning. See, I'm doing well. 2018, he announced that he was riding for KTM. In August 2019, he announced that he would not be riding for KTM any longer in 2020. And then in September of that same year, KTM announced that he wouldn't be riding the remaining six events for that year. And that test rider, Mika Calio. Calio was taking his place. You should see the grin on Manuel's face. He's joined the dots. He knows who we're talking he about. He knows who it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the next point I have is, is is a Vintia Ducati where he will find his place? Who I'll is? Who's going to answer first? Who is? Manuel? Johan Zarco, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Oh, thank God I did better than last week when it could have been an option of about four different people. Look, just before we go on to Manuel, Manuel's answer, have you had a look at any photos of uh, of Mr. Zarco, of Johan? Is, is he hot or is he not? Oh, are you asking me? Yeah. No, he's way too old for me. <laughs> Who's Zarco? <laughs> Not he's older than 16, clearly. <laughs> he's not um, Valentino Rossi. Okay, Thank you. Okay. Manuel Johan Zarco, one word to describe. In positive or in negative? It doesn't your matter. It's your word. What comes yeah. to mind first? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. A positive. No. A positive. A positive and a negative. How good are your lawyers? It's a unique character. Oh, okay. Is that positive or negative? I'm not sure. In, in what way is it unique? How does he stand out from uh, his peers? Look, uh, Zarko is, uh, is unique. He has a character, for example, for giving you, you will um, put your uh, description by yourself. He was, for example, and he slept when he was in Moto2 as Moto2 rider. He didn't go to hotels during the Grand Prix. He slept on the floor in the back of the boxes on the track, on the team track. He <clears throat> he slept for maybe four or five years on the sofa in the living room of his manager. Did he not want to spend money or is there a reason behind this to be close yeah, to Yeah, he's completely focused. He, until one year ago, he didn't have mobile phone. He did in social media. You know, he was like a Martian, somebody who arrived from, but he's a very nice guy. He plays piano, for example. He sings. He lived until last year or before last year with an old man in an apartment where he rented a room. Hang on, with an old man, not his grandfather. No, 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 just, just an old man. Random old man. And, <clears throat> and he was telling that, okay, at uh, he, the dinner they sat at the table, they ate soup together, and they chat, you know. He's completely an outsider. But 
He sounds very enlightened. Yeah, he is. A new world French guy. <laughs> he's, he's, and you say that there isn't personality in the paddock. No, no, he is a unique, yeah, exactly. unique personality. Unique. I want to know more about this guy now. It's, yeah, for sure. But this has, uh, and then he takes decisions like leaving KTN in the middle of the season and, uh, how do you say, not wanting the money. You know, he's, he thinks in a different way. Mm. So he's doing nothing for fame, nothing for fortune, popularity, for what people think it's it's a whole he, other. He, he's, he raised, you know, it's a real outsider. You know what I mean? So he's pure. Um, he's quite pure. Somebody. He sounds incredible. Well, you can call it pure or strange. I don't know. <laughs> pure or weird? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ladies you take the Different to the yeah. most of us, like, so Ladies strange. Ladies and gentlemen, there's our episode title. <laughs> Pure or weird? Pure. Question mark. Strange. Let's say it's pure or strange. So, can you explain to me? Because obviously, from what I've what I've looked up, he had the potential to come in and just be such a standout, but he didn't quite get there. What What is it? Do you, what is it that stopped that happening, or is it yet to come? He is a. Uh, uh, I wouldn't qualify him under talented rider. He's a fast rider. Mm-hmm. But again, he takes decision in a very different way. You know, even when things don't go well, he he always surprises with uh, attitudes and uh, determinations that we will say what. But uh, many so, so if he's many people he's, so he's many not... people like him because he is different or pure. You know, because true. Yeah. He's, mm. He does things like we think that like Robin Hood. You know, we say. Something like yeah. this. So, so uh, just to 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 review him against his teammate, you look at the results across um, 2017, 2018 that that he got versus his teammate at Tech Three Yamaha. What if he's if if you know if he if he's not that much talented, more more talented than the rest of the field? Why do you think there was such a big discrepancy in in results between what he got? And what his teammates at uh, at Tech Three? No, look, I, I I'm not saying that he's the less talented because he's twice world champion. Remember, twice Moto Two world champion. Talented. I, I true, true. I'm comparing him, for example, with uh, Fabio Quartararo, who is much younger than him and okay. has the same skills. I can compare him with uh, Joan Mir, young guys. Okay. Oh, don't get me started on Jeremy. So Dave knows he, I, how much I, sorry, I don't want to guy. say that Sarko has not the talent, but he's not one of the the one percent aliens. The, the, right. Yeah, okay. yes, exactly. He's a good. Could he have stayed at a lower level and kept winning? Yeah, but he had done the job after two titles. When you do, you go. You want to go to the next step and check yourself and see how good how good you are. Mm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm bursting again to, uh, to, to, to get mine uh, in front of uh, Manuel, so I'm just going to jump in there. We'll, uh, we'll uh, move on from uh, Mr. Mr. Zarco. So, Manuel, uh, my member of the paddock is a uh, former professional motocross racer, so that narrows it down a lot. He's German. Uh, he's competed in uh, motocross world championships from 1989 to 2003, and this is where the, the giveaway is. Unfortunately, he had a, quite a severe accident in uh, 2003 uh, riding a KTM. He's now the sports director for KTM. And I am talking about? Yes, KTM sports director. He is uh, Pete Byron. Absolutely. Correct. Ooh. Yeah, but I, I, I don't, is he German or is he Austrian? I had German on his bio. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah, Pete, Pete Byron, yes. And uh, he, what do you want to be, to describe him? Yeah, the one word that you just... You, one, you word. Just word. Ah, one word. Um, this is very good. This, is, it's, this one is easy. He is super passion, passionate. Passionate. Super. He likes, yes, he likes racing. Like all the brand, KTM is a brand where... There is no, look, all like racing, but nobody it's a family. has a DNA in racing like KTM. You know something very interesting? The, in KTM, the engineers, the average age of the engineers, they are very young, very young. And on weekends, they go doing enduro riding all together. And this is, this is different to the rest of the teams? Ah, they, don't, they, okay. they don't engage in this? No, but I mean, they, they practice themselves 
they write and compete and whatever. So I can't see the Japanese doing this, for example, or Gigi Dalinia doing motocross. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't picture Gigi and Davide Tarazzi doing that together. Andra, I've got to butt in with a with a very. This is a question to assist our listeners that are a little bit uneducated. Yeah. These endurance races I keep hearing about. Can you just quickly explain to me what they are? Is this like a twenty-four yeah, hour tw- race? It's or a long a- distance race. That's the word. A long distance race, and the oh. races they may go from eight hours up to 24. And there are others that are, that are in the middle 12 hours. And this is a... So on a track? Yeah, yeah, on a track. Then it's a different, it's a unique, a different championship called EWC, Endurance World Championship. So it's a team, obviously, yep. they switch yes. out. They, they, the team normally, depending if it's an eight hours, it's a two men, two rider mm-hmm. team. If 24 hours, it's a three-rider team. And how often can they swap? Or do they only ride once each? Or is there... No, it's it's a free, but I think that there has been a minimum that all riders in the list have to ride. At least one stint, I think. Yeah, each okay. rider has to do at least one stint. And depending on the format, there may be... So eight-hour race, so. two people, four hours each. Yeah. And they can switch yeah, hour for hour, or they could do four hours straight, and, or and and in eight hours. However, they as a team. That's a whole other way. Yeah. In, eight, in eight hours, there may also be four or three, but the minimum is two. We used to see a lot mm-hmm. of the MotoGP talent moving freely between um, things like the Suzuka eight hour back to MotoGP, and there'd be these select appearances. Uh, in other championships, we're seeing less and less of that. Is there a reason behind that? Like I haven't seen, you know, the Vinales or the Rossies or the Marquezes anywhere near an eight hour, let alone a, a 12 or a 24 or, you know. Yeah, look, it's, the, the explanation is very simple. The championship is so long. There are so many races, remember, or consider that when the others were raced, I mean, Duhan did race a lot of times, make uh, the championship was done out of 13, 15 races. Now there are 20. And Suzuka always happens the last weekend of July. It's exactly in the holiday period. This is uh, reason number one. Reason number two, it's a very dangerous race, okay? Uh, because, look, on the track, there are 70 teams, 7-0, 70 what? teams. So it's Do extreme. they all start at the same time or is it staggered? All, or is, all or the yeah. same time. So at the end... You should see the start of one of those races. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Have a look at the uh, internet Googling. because it's amazing. And so at the end, it's a matter of uh, time-free and a matter of safety. That's why normally the second-line rider of each factory go there. Like who? Paul Espargaro when he was in Tectoire and... Uh, Casey was once there and he crashed, as you know, but now yeah. I know that Suzuki pretended to, uh, Mir and Rins to race there to because to have a chance to win. But uh, mm-hmm. obviously this year it won't happen. But these two are these two reasons are what, why we don't see anymore the super top riders. So circling back uh, to, to Pit Byra, we've got passionate and part of a, a, a very large shared cultural racing belief so would that be fair to to describe uh pit yes pit is a is a racer and he thinks like still thinks like a racer you know good to hear that's why I've, I've, I've seen him um, interviewed and he was one of the ones that was top of my list to get some more insight because I've, I've always had a sense of that and it's it's good to know that my instincts uh, sort of back me up on that one yeah. Over to you, Stu. Yeah, same. I, I've always had a soft spot for that KTM team, and I've never really known where that comes from. It, it might be that Aussie underdog thing coming through, but but yeah, they, they just strike me as such a passionate collective family team. And one interesting one. thing, sorry, Stu, from uh, of, of uh, Meyer and the whole KTM, they don't lie. You know? <laughs> They don't lie. Oh, that, no, let's say nice. let's say they don't. That's a nice change. They don't hide. They don't hide. If you ask them and they have to say this is red, they say this is red. They don't say this is orange. Yep. You understand? And this is something that almost yeah. has a value. Yep. 
It's a vermilion, not red. <laughs> <laughs> stew, like your hair stew. Over to you, over to you for the last oh, one. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Okay. All righty. So the last Manuel incident for the week. Here we go. So this MotoGP legend, he's officially a legend, grew up a country boy, feeding the animals and riding dirt bikes around the farm. He progressed quickly to racing superbikes in his national series, and he won it all in just his second full year. He was then immediately promoted to ride for the Repsol Honda MotoGP factory team, where he stayed for six stool, years and stool, won one stool. world title. I have, you know who I it have, is straight I away. Have Go already on. Already goose pups, you know. <laughs> Go, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, for, for the listeners, I'll finish this off because this is quite a uh, quite an emotional one. Yeah. So he then moved on to the Ducati MotoGP team, where he struggled for results following a string of crashes and bad luck. He stayed in the Ducati until 2014, when he moved back to Honda to race for a privateer team, Aspar Honda. Still plagued by injury problems, he moved out of MotoGP in 2016, back into racing his beloved superbikes in the World Championship. It was while racing for the Tankata Honda team that he was tragically taken from us at age 35 in a road accident while cycling. And of course, we are talking about the Kentucky kid, yeah. none other than... Mr. Nicky Hyman. Yeah, very good. Well, look, for me, to talk about Nicky is... Uh, uh, I have to breathe, you know. <laughs> it's it's emotional. Yeah. It, it's always going to be emotional, mate. It, it, he was such an amazing, amazing personality. I, I've, I've, I never met the guy. I would love to have met the guy. He seemed like such an incredible, engaging, funny, talented, open person. Incredible personality. Yeah, he was. Sorry, man. He was. <sighs> Look, uh, Nikki was not specially talented. Once again, I have mm -hmm. to disagree today with you. Yeah, yeah. But he was the most professional rider I have ever seen in my 27 years, you know. He did... He... And, and ladies and gentlemen, but, but what, Manuel, before you go on, I just want to point out here that while we're doing this podcast, I'm I'm looking... We're, we're all obviously in different places around the world. I'm looking at a screen with, with my three co-hosts here, and I'm looking at Manuel, and I am seeing tears <laughs> in Manuel's eyes right now. I am seeing emotion in Manuel's eyes, very, very much so. Yes, yes. Nikki was a special person. When did you've obviously seen riders come, and you've seen riders go? For when did you realise that Nikki was someone that was a little different to who had come previously? What was what was a memory for for that? Where you were, hang on, this is this is someone who needs to be viewed through a slightly different lens. This is this is someone that we've never seen before. When was that for Manuel? When did you realize that? No, Nicky was a person that uh, he had he had the word no was never in his. Uh, you know, he was always. Uh, ready. He had never a problem with any rider. He was always super fair. He, mm -hmm. he was different. He was different. You know, he was uh, yeah. super professional. When he didn't look, uh, where was it? The first time he rode in uh, on wet track because in uh, Andre in America in the past, when it was raining, they did not race. So. When the American yeah they just cancelled yeah, races when the yeah. Americans oh, yeah. came over and they had to race in the rain for them it was like wow so the first time Nikki faced a, a track on the wet he it was on a test I remember right on but he was fifteen seconds slower than the rest one five in one lap yeah at the end of the day he finished three seconds later uh, behind you know. Huh. It was, he was, bam, bam, bam. He did, on, a, on every test, when the others did 25, 30 laps, he made 100 laps. So he was, he worked so hard and he never gave up and he had never a, a wrong attitude. And uh, yesterday or before yesterday, in another interview on the Italian TV, I had one of his managers and I asked him about what, uh, what were his uh, remembers of Nikki. And he told me, look, I have never had a rider as professional as Nicky. He said, two weeks before arriving to a Grand Prix, he phoned to me and asked me, 
which interviews I, I was going to have, which uh, sponsor uh, stuff I was going to have. He said, and there was never a bad face, you know, never a bad we face. We can so take a page out. Of, it's, isn't it such a common thing that people that have left this world, we could learn so much from them. Yeah, no, Nikki was. And oh, if I if I had uh, to give one word to Nikki, for me, he's special. Absolutely perfect. Perfect. Manuel, that's amazing. Yeah. Thank you so much. It is. And just something that I wanted to sort of sort of reflect on and, and, and put out to, to our listeners, if it's okay with you, Manuel, I, I do want to highlight the fact that um, – Pacino GP is putting together uh, a tribute for Nikki uh, in 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 the very near future. So that's something that, um, yeah, this. Yeah, uh, look, I I went I have been, I went through all the photos I have because I was the first journalist that uh, saw Nikki on a MotoGP bike because he went for a private test the first time when he arrived in. In Grand Prix, it was sometime in January in the past, and the only journalist on the track was was I. So I remember when he spoke wow. to me, he said to me, "Hey, your English is very foreign." So he probably didn't. Imagine him with his Kentucky accent. Yeah, he from Kentucky accent, and my with my Moroccan yeah. English, you know. <laughs> yep. But you got by. And I just want to clarify for everybody that um, when when David asks myself and Andrea every week to put these Manuel incident personalities together, Manuel does not know who these people are. And so I have I selected Nikki Hayden completely independently. I didn't know that Manuel was putting a tribute together yeah. for, for, for yeah. Nikki whatsoever. Uh, this is actually news to me right now. I'm just hearing about this. So it, that is completely kismet. That is that is amazing. I really look forward to seeing that, Manuel. Wonderful. Yeah, remember in 2000 when Nikki won the championship? I think it was in 2006, right? 2006, correct. Yeah, he arrived in Valencia, Andra. He had very, very few chances with Valentino Rossi. He was challenging Valentino Rossi. So his, his, uh, his chances were... Super, pretty super. much nothing. <laughs> nothing. Yeah, not expected. Yeah. At that, uh, at the track, there were the whole family, uh, Hayden family. You know, mm-hmm. his two brothers were racers. His sister were racers. His mother was <laughs> did race, and they were they made all family there at the grid with almost no chances, and he won. Yeah, everything. You know, yeah. he won. Can you imagine yep. how they felt? And it was like, okay, the family pushed them. Pushed him to to get mm. to get the champion. You know mm-hmm. that was pff, yep. what one of Reach these days. Dream. Yeah, one of these days with goosebumps. Yes. Have you heard um, just to end this? Have you heard uh, Nikki's story of why he chose his number? No, I think that it was his father's or not. It was his father's number, but it was the reason why that he continued uh, to use it. Because for Andrew, he he had a, quite an unfortunate number in some regards, but very fortunate in others, um, of sixty nine. But- oh, that's the best number you could have got, isn't it? <laughs> but he's and a lot of people just go oh, yeah, sixty nine because but he's it's sixty nine. But his reasoning behind it was was that once the the. Uh, the wins were starting to come for because his father was a racer and, and you know very much in the family. If even when the bike crashed, his number had to be identifiable. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> it's the same, same upside down. That's good. That's that's cold. <laughs> Exactly right. As I said, that that, that Kentucky draw (laughs) saying, yeah, wherever the bike is, it has to be uh, recognised. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's gold. On that note, I I think uh, we'll end it there. I want to thank the audience. I also want to thank uh, the co-hosts, Stu, Andrew. Thanks for dialling in uh, for another episode. Mr. Manuel Pacino himself, thank you so much for your insight. Uh, once again, we promise we won't string such uh, spring such an emotional uh, name on you uh, <laughs> next time. Andrew, yeah. sorry, did I miss something? Uh, I know. I just wanted to quickly give a shout out if I could. We posted a picture today. I realize it's probably a little while back now by the time this podcast comes out, but we posted a photo that Manuel tested me with of a young Olive Pedrosa Elias and Stoner. 
he sent me the photo and said, here, try and work out who these people are. So while I was, I did pretty well. I picked two of them off, off my own merit. Um, I did post it on our Instagram and our Facebook. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Raphael Alcalia because he was the first one to comment and got them spot on. And um, also oh, Moto, well done, Rafa. Moto well GP done. Collect on Instagram. He also got them correct. So well done. And where can they get us on, Inst- on the uh, big IGs, Andrew? Dave, uh, on oh, you go. Oh, no, sorry, I, 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 I am smiling because you called uh, one of them olive, like the olive tree. Yeah. <laughs> well, you heard me say <laughs> the name of that La Man's place before. I'm like, La I'm Man's. like, if anyone La knows an olive, I'm very Aussie. Um, a very Aussie young lady here, so you've got to be patient with me. I'm just looking at the podcast results here for, for our uh, listeners, and I can already see the French listener group uh, like diminishing as we speak. So hey, I'm happy. If anyone wants to give me some tutoring, if you're over the age of 16, up to about <laughs> 40, so I'm, I'm up for some tutoring. Up to about 19. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you're liking what you're uh, hearing at the moment, leave us a five-star review on the Apple uh, podcast. Tell your friends. We're available on all the podcast platforms. We've got the CastBox, the Castro, the Google Play, the Google Podcasts, all of them all the way down to uh, tune in. We're on Instagram, uh, the Pacino Report, Andra underscore the Pacino Report, and QuickDraw underscore 73, or you can email us at the Pacino Report at PacinoGP.com. Manuel is absolutely everywhere across the internet, um, spreading all of the, uh, the the good juice on what he's uh, able to wring out of Dorna and MotoGP. Manuel, where can our listeners get more of the Pacino goodness? Well, uh, I have a platform called Pacino GP, very original. <laughs> then, <laughs> easy to find, easy to find. PacinoGP.com and then there you can uh, get whatever you want about MotoGP. The inside scoop, that's why we're here. All the good goss. From Manuel's backyard. Ladies and gentlemen, we've loved putting this together for you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Thank see you then. So Ciao. Bye-bye. Bye. Manuel, do you have a funny hat you can wear? A funny what? A funny hat. Oh, hat. A big on, big on. Yes. <laughs> I need to get a. I need to get a VR forty six hat. <laughs> we have a winner. Oh, well oh done. Oh my god, that's Tur- turbocharged. Turbocharged. Turn it on. Can you turn it on? Coolest dude. It's got a solar oh panel. Solar. Oh yes, my it, god. It only works in the sun. Oh my god, my mind is blown. <laughs> Wait, I gotta take oh. a photo.